Good morning, Urban Village Church. My name is Emily McGinley. You can talk about me using the pronouns she, her, and hers, and I serve as the executive pastor. Thank you so much for joining um, our worship online. And uh, as we turn to um, our passage for today, let's begin with a word of prayer. God, we give you thanks for the gift of this time to come together to um, reflect on your uh, what you might be saying to us today um, and to remember the ways that you have continually been um, uh, reaching out, connecting, uh, intervening, and inviting um, all of your followers to uh, live more fully um, as participants and partners with you in your ongoing work of wholeness of creation and life. Uh, be with us now as we engage in this passage and um, help us to hear what we need to hear so that we might go out and do and be who uh, we are called to be. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. About this time last year, we had, for the most part, found our groove with online worship. It had been two months, uh, two and a half months into the pandemic, and the kinks of filming, video editing, and organizing folks for weekly online worship had, for the most part, uh, been worked out. And this was a good thing because one week later, (laughs) it would be completely disrupted. We had procured, prepared, and produced our video offerings in preparation for Pentecost Sunday. And uh, we had sent those to Carrie Pang, our long-suffering video editor, um, when the Holy Spirit just came and messed it all up. Video footage of George Floyd's murder started to circulate. And we knew that for all of our efforts, none of it meant a thing anymore. Sermons were rewritten, communion was reworked, and prayers were re-prayed. But of course, even more, much greater than that, was the explosion of grief, pain, anger, and outrage at Derek Chauvin's nonchalant theft of life, the complicit officers standing by while it happened, and the entire structure of policing that enabled this to happen. There, so many of us were huddled up cloistered away, quarantining and sheltering in place when the spirit rushed in and demanded that we had waited enough, pushing so many of us into the streets, pandemic or not. And while the circumstances aren't exactly the same, 2000 years ago, they weren't all that different. There were, there the disciples were, huddled up, cloistered away and sheltering in place, reeling from the aftermath of an unjust death and state-sponsored execution in the crucifixion of Jesus. They had encountered his risen self and were awaiting their next move when the spirit rushed in on them and pushed them out into the streets. The timing of this was no coincidence. It was the festival of Shavuot, a time to celebrate the first fruits of the harvest and even more importantly, the moment when God's law, the Torah, was gifted to God's people. The law was what helped the people of Israel understand themselves as one. It bound them together with a common vision, a shared promise, and an order of life that centered on loving God, living abundantly, and caring for the least of these. Every year, the faithful would gather to celebrate these gifts um, in Jerusalem and uh, with the expectation that God would increase their collective understanding again. And so on this day, so long ago, the people were again together. They had pilgrimaged from all over the Roman Empire and settled in for a revival weekend. 
Maybe they were truly expecting something to happen or maybe they were just there for the snacks. Regardless of their intentions, they had shown up, gotten into the festival groove, and then found their carefully procured, prepared, and produced rituals of offering completely disrupted by the very God they came to thank. Some of them understood that it was the spirit and others thought it was spirits. But no matter their conclusion, they all recognized that something strange, something disorienting, and maybe even a little scary was going on. The disciples, Galileans, were speaking diverse languages that came from the farthest reaches of the empire. Galileans, people who were so universally understood to be politically unsavory and generally uneducated that even the disciple Nathaniel had to ask, can anything good come from Nazareth when he was being recruited? And yet these were the people, these people who were bad news were the very people God had called and invited and pulled onto the streets to proclaim the good news. What was going on? I always love how Pentecost happens just before Pride Month in Chicago. It's like a launch pad into so much of what pride is about. Courage to come out and speak boldly in new ways, to disrupt oppressive narratives in exchange for new life-giving stories, to turn shame into pride, despair into hope, and make protest a party. The Pentecostal message is a good and it is ecstatic and it is creative news that is right in line with what pride is about. But of course, God's good news is not always good news for everyone. And so while there were plenty of people who were energized by this movement of God and inspired by Peter's proclamation that young people will see visions and elders will dream dreams, there were plenty of others who had become so cynical, so visionless and dreamless that the idea of God's transformative spirit actually moving was not only absurd, but laughable. And who wants to be laughed at? The older I get, the harder it is to learn new things. And I don't think that um, it's because like my brain is calcifying <laughs> so much as the reality that the process of learning is disorienting and humiliating and kind of embarrassing. When you learn new things or try to learn new things, there is, well, a learning curve, right? Which is a diplomatic way of saying that you will mess up a lot and maybe look like a fool in front of people you would prefer not to look a fool in front of. And so, the older we get, typically, the more control we have about when and whether we are willing to look foolish and risk that, um, the less then we are actually willing to do it. But every once in a while, in spite of all of our efforts, the spirit intervenes and a learning moment finds us. Mr. Ponton, I believe you have a filter turned on in the video settings. Uh, you might want to uh, uh, take, take We're a trying look. to, we're tr can you hear me, Judge? I can hear you. I think it's a filter. It, in the it is, and I don't know how to remove it. I've got my assistant here. She's trying to, but uh, I'm prepared to go forward with it. That's, I'm here live. It's not, I'm not a cat. I can I can see that. Um, I think if you click the up arrow next to this. 
Now, while the spirit takes many forms and moves in all kinds of ways, I'm not sure if I would chop a cat filter up to one of those forms, but who knows, right? <laughs> I'll bet now though, uh, that this uh, lawyer knows exactly how to use uh, Zoom filters. Learning something new can make us look foolish and it may not always be worth it, but there are plenty of times when it is. The other day, uh, Rabbi Lizzie Heideman, the founder of Mishkan Chicago, described Shavuot as a day of revelation, of opening head and heart to break down previously held binaries that just don't work anymore, and then raising our collective eyes for to see new ways to go forward. Now, for many of us at UBC, we understand Pentecost through a distinctly Christian lens. After all, it is what we consider to be the birthday of the church. But it is, of course, so much more than that. When we see it through the lens of Shavuot, we recognize Pentecost is more than a single occurrence. We understand it as one of many moments that are part of God's transformative and revelatory activity throughout history. Right after this passage, we are told that not everyone believed. A lot of folks just went home shaking their heads about all the crazies that had ruined their religious festival. But for those who stayed, well, they became part of a movement, movement that would change the world in powerful ways. And that same power is with us today. It's a power that enables us to open our heads and hearts, to break down binaries that bind our imaginations, to become fluent in one another's realities, raising our collective eyes to, toward um, new ways of doing life of loving God, of seeking wholeness together. As we continue our sermon series on the inward journey, that quest that is not only for self-knowledge, but knowledge of self in God, there's one thing that cannot be overlooked. The inward journey is only possible when it is paired with an outward and collective understanding. We can't be transformed by God's spirit without understanding that we are connected to one another. The Pentecostal celebration is distinct because it brings together diverse, disparate people to create something radically different from what we've ever known. Pentecost reminds us not only that the Holy Spirit continues to move among us, but that she challenges us as well. She challenges us to see ourselves as part of a greater constellation of people and experiences and ways of doing life. And so we must become fluent in one another's language of expression, of understanding, of the oppressions and the hopes, the dreams and the heartbreak of one another. To expand our imaginations about what has happened, but also what is possible. And querying our understanding of self and God. On the inward journey, the quest for understanding is met by the radically disorienting moving of the Holy Spirit. Last year, the spirit of Pentecost pushed us out into the streets to speak up for a radical reorientation of our systems and policing structures. And even as that work continues this year, the spirit is still at work. So what does that look like for you? Where are you being disoriented? And how can that compel you toward new ways of living with, acting toward, and showing up for others. There is something for you to learn and be willing to risk looking foolish for. 
learning a new language, speaking up for justice, or learning how to use Zoom filters. Thanks be to God.